Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Let's uh, just take a moment and look at Abraham's faith. And I want to zone in on a specific aspect of faith today. And we're going to connect this aspect of faith with a provision of our covenant. Romans chapter 4, let's begin in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Notice that we see uh, the connection that Abraham's faith had to the word. In verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. As it is written, uh, gives us that foundation. I have made you a father of many nations. And then again in verse 18, according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. So we have two verses here uh, that are identified as... uh, connectors to the faith that Abraham was operative in. God had said to him, I'm going to make you the, I have made you the father of many nations. That was a a declaration that became an anchor point for Abraham. And then when he brought him out and showed him the, the stars and the sand and told him this is how many your seed will be, it says that became an anchor point according to that which was spoken, as it is written and according to that which was spoken, because the word is the foundation of our faith. If we're going to believe with Bible faith, we've got to have Bible to have Bible faith. We got to have scripture. If we just say, well, I'm believing for something, but we don't know what scripture we're believing with, we're not believing with Bible faith. We're hoping maybe, we're wanting something, but for us to be believing with a Bible faith, there needs to be a scripture according to as it was spoken or as it was written. So for us to have faith that comes from the word, we need the word providing that faith to us. And then when we have the scripture on the thing that we're believing for, then we can begin 
such as uh, process is showed to us in verse 19. It says, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. This is the specific that I want to look at as we go into this lesson today. The considering not of the circumstance or the situation as it is. That doesn't mean we ignore it. He did not ignore it. He did not negate it. He did not deny it. He did not deny his age. He did not deny that Sarah had never been able, but he did not consider it in his equation of the outcome. He did not give it a place to be factored in to what God was able to do. He was fully aware of it. There are different scriptures that bring that out to us. Pastor has taught us that over the years. He was fully aware of his age. He was fully aware of the condition of his body. He was fully aware of the condition of Sarah's womb. But he did not consider that as to be a part of what God could do or not do. He was aware of it, but he wasn't considering. what. So we want to look at the considering as a part of believing so that we are, we are accurate because sometimes believers try instead of, of, of considering the truth, they try to just deny the fact and think they're in faith because they're denying the fact. Or they're trying to just forget what the doctor said and just trying to ignore what the doctor said. You know, what the doctor said doesn't change what God is able to do. What the, we, when, when people have come to me in the past and they say, Pastor Michelle, I want you to pray with me. I'm going in for some test results and I want you to pray that the test result will come out such and such way. I stop and I have to take that moment to reteach because we're not praying about test results. We want the test to tell us the good report, but we don't want to pray that the test result would come out in such a way because the enemy could cause there to be a wrong test made and the test result to come out wrong and then that person is still in the dark with the sickness in their body. That's not what we want to change. We want to change the condition of the body, not the test result. Okay? So the, the... The negating or denying of a circumstance is not how faith operates. God did not operate faith by saying, it's not dark out here. It's not dark out here. It's not dark out here. He did not not deny the darkness. He called for what he wanted. Let there be light. Light be. He called for what he wanted. He called into existence what was not in existence, and that's the operation of faith. Not denying what is in existence, but changing what is in existence by bringing a new supernatural substance in place to nullify. If I go back to the thermostat on the wall, let's say, for instance, we walked in here and it was 85 degrees in here. I'm going to call for something that's not in the room. I'm not going to say, it's not hot in here, it's not hot in here, because that's not how faith operates. But faith calls for the 70 degrees. Faith will say, I want, I want it to be 72 in here. and going to call for that 72. And then that thermostat is going to send the signal to 
the air conditioner to bring a change in the circumstance to cause this environment to become 72 degrees instead of remaining at 85. But there's no power for me just to go back there and say, well, it's 85 degrees, I might as well leave it on 85. The power is to call for what we need. So we want, to cons- we want to consider truth. We want to consider and not make our decision about what God is able to do based on what we see, but instead based on what He said. That's what get our- gets our consideration while we still recognize what the fact is. We still recognize what we're dealing with. We're just not giving it place to remain. We're not giving the right for that circumstance to remain the way it is. We're going to call for a change in that circumstance. So it says this is how he did it. He considered not. He considered not his own body. He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. And the ultimate process of faith He considered not, he staggered not, till he became fully persuaded. That's the ultimate that we want. We want to grow and develop in the faith for concerning that thing that we're believing for to the point that we become fully persuaded. That's not overnight. That's not overnight. Faith for full persuasion comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. There's there's going to be a casting down of imaginations. When we see Mark 11, look with me at Mark 11, which is a familiar familiar scripture to us concerning the teaching on faith. But I want you to see that Jesus is telling us this is how faith in its optimum operation will work for us. 11.23, For verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. So Jesus is telling us this is the way it will work. But if you've walked faith for any length of time, you know that the first time you say to the mountain that you've got to have a practiced development in your heart to not... Not, not to not submit to that temptation to doubt in your heart. You've got to practice. Okay, I'm not doubting in my heart. That's not something that just happens the first time you determine in your life, I'm not going to doubt in my heart. You've got to know I'm not going to doubt and you've got to discipline your heart to stay in a place of faith and discipline yourself not to allow any thought to move you away. That's why the scripture says, holding fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Why? Because the enemy uses wavering to get us to that place where we begin to doubt what we said will come to pass and try to move us away from faith. So this that we see here in verse 23 is is people who have been practicing and working. The working of faith, who know how to cast down imaginations, who know how to hold every thought captive, who know how to keep their mind stayed on the Lord, who know how to speak to the mountain and stay in faith with what they've spoken, believing that the things which they say will come to pass and maintaining in that believing while they're waiting for the manifestation of that promise. 
And there are some promises that you don't have to wait for very long. But there are others that, re- that involve other people's decisions, that involve a, a playing out of certain things. For instance, the salvation of your family members. Amen. You better have your patience and long-suffering in place if you want to stand for your family members because that's not promised that you're going to see the result of it in a week. Amen. Because they are, their will is involved... But our promise is that God will save our family members, our children, especially if you're standing for your children. So then we've got to stay in a place of faith because if we're up one day and down the next, if we're in one minute and out the next, if we are wavering, then God's opening into their life is wavering. God's ability to deal with them is wavering because He needs our faith to have the legal authority to knock on the door of their heart, to remain in that place where He is constantly shining that light and sending people across their path. But if you spend one day, God's going to save my children. Great is the peace of my children. My children are taught of the Lord. And then two weeks, I don't know why they're doing the way they're doing. I don't know why they're acting the way they're acting. Oh, Lord, save. They are so bad, Lord. And then, okay, okay, I'm going to get in faith. I'm going to get in faith. Great is the peace of my children. Father, I thank you that great is the peace of my children. And then you spend the next three months worrying. Well, then God's got that little window when you're in faith where he is able to really be effective. And then that three months where he's standing back waiting for you to get back in faith. Amen. Amen. So this is why we've got to be developed in faith. Faith is automatically available to us. It's automatically ours for the working. It is our lifestyle of the believer. But we have a part to play in how effective our own faith is in our daily life. So I want to take this concept of considering how faith considers... And I want to zoom in on this consideration and I want to specifically do so where our healing is concerned. I'm going to use this, although you can take the same concept of how we consider and you can apply it financially, you can apply it in other areas, but I think one of the most important things for us to be skilled in is receiving healing because for us to be effective on this earth, we have to be alive and well to be able to do great things for God. So our faith for healing needs to be focused and It's much easier for you to focus your faith for healing before you get sick, before before any sickness has attacked your body. It's more difficult for a person to become focused on healing while they're battling symptoms. And, And if you've already got this developed prior to any physical attack, then you're going to be able to deal with that physical attack much quicker and much more effectively than if you have got to stop, if you have got to start from ground zero and start building your faith for healing while you're dealing with symptoms and physical malady in your body. So because this is such an important part, I think we need to give our attention to it. Uh, Jesus establishes healing for 
our body. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3 and we'll give us some foundation points, some as it is written. Remember, that's where we start. As it is written and according to what was spoken. That's where we lay our foundation. So even though you attend a faith church and you've heard faith messages, when the opportunity to stand in faith comes, it's going to determine what's in your heart as to whether your stand is going to be effective or not. What's in your heart? And so Galatians 3.13 needs to be established in our heart. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Christ has redeemed us. That word redeemed means to purchase. He's paid the purchase price to purchase us out of the curse. The curse has no right to hold any believer because Christ has paid the optimum purchase price to redeem you from the curse. So the curse has no right. It's in this earth, but it has no right to be in your body. It has no right to be in your life. Now, it's a trespasser. So just because it has no right to be, it doesn't mean it's not going to try to be in your life. It's going to try because the curse is a trespasser. And it will come and try to set up camp in your life or in your body. And so you've got to know, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm redeemed from that. I'm resisting that. You don't have any right to be here. I have every right to move you out of my body. I have every right to move you out of my life. I'm redeemed. And so there needs to be a knowledge of who you are because if you don't, if you, if you're mousy about that and you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. No, wait, wait, wait. I'm redeemed from that. So would you please mind moving your symptoms out of my body? Curse going to say, I'm not convinced you are redeemed. You might be redeemed, but I don't think you know how redeemed you are. So I think I'm just going to hang out here and see what you do. What you going to do? Because, I mean, the curse has an attitude. Like, hey, what you going to do? Like, you push me, I'll push you back. So you got to bring some authority. Right? You've got, so you need to be skilled. The name of Jesus, we need to be skilled in the authority we have in Jesus' name. We need to be skilled in our redemptive rights of the covenant. He... he became a curse for me. That's the, that's the root of my freedom. He was cursed for me. It's not necessary for me to allow the curse to remain because it's already been paid for. He became a curse for me. So the price to free me has been paid. In Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin and sickness came in through sin. Sickness is not God's plan. It is not God's will ever, ever. God doesn't even want 
a sinner to be sick. He doesn't want anybody to be sick because he never designed any human being to have to endure sickness. Sickness came in with sin, came in as a result of sin. That doesn't mean that you, a person becomes sick because they have sinned, although that can open a door for the enemy to attack, but it's just a part of the curse that came in when Adam sinned. So the root of that sickness is not righteousness. The root of that sickness is not from God. The root of that sickness is from sin. So Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it. So, and the effects of it. Hallelujah. So through his sacrifice... I don't have to suffer the effects of sin anymore. Amen, amen. Amen. I don't have to suffer hot flashes. Can I get an amen in the house? I don't have to suffer growing weak as I get older. As I increase in age, I can, rem- I can retain my strength. Amen. I can retain my health. I can retire. I don't have to, well, how are you going to die if you don't get sick? When I get ready to leave, I'll leave. When I've lived my long, satisfying life, but I don't have to get sick to die. So why? Because he's already paid the price and suffered what was necessary to bring peace into my life. 1 Peter 2, 24. Now, I know these are basics where healing is concerned, but they need to be fundamentals, not something that we consider elementary like unnecessary, but elementary like without this, I don't have what it's going to take to build what I need to build. So because for you to have the faith to be able to receive healing and live healed every day of your life, and it's possible to never be sick another day in your life. It's possible, but it's going to take faith to do that, to never be sick another day in your life. How about you just go ahead and set that high watermark? That's my goal. That's my objective. Never be sick another day in my life because Jesus paid for sickness. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to permit sickness. Nothing telling me that, well, you're you're human, so you're eventually going to wear this out or wear that out or eventually this virus or this sickness or this bacteria. No, I can live in the fullness of the blessing. I can live in the full redemption from the curse And every sickness is covered under the curse and I'm redeemed from every sickness. But for me to get to that kind of a conviction, a a being convinced that I never have to be sick another day in my life, I'm going to have to take these elementary building blocks of 1 Peter 2, 24, Matthew 8, 17, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, and I'm going to have to feed on them until they are so so in infused in my bloodstream that my bloodstream answers with Isaiah 54 that says, surely he has, he has carried my sicknesses and my pains and by his stripes I'm healed. So that when a bacteria enters into my bloodstream, Isaiah 54, 3 or 54, 4 answers that bacteria in the bloodstream and says, no, 
you're going to have to give way. You're going to have to lose all of your ability because the ability that's in charge here is, is 1 Peter 2.24 ability. Amen. The ability that's reigning in this body is Matthew 8.17, himself took our infirmities. Amen? It's not going to happen just because you own a Bible with that verse in it. It's not going to happen just because you've got five different translations sitting in your desk. It's not going to happen just because you've got one on your phone, your tablet, and, and, and every device. No, it's going to happen because it's in your heart. And that word has become flesh in you. It's become a part of you. You're convinced of it. And so 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who his own self, his own self, who his own self bear. That means to completely remove and carry away. He bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. And then it has a, a, a colon and then on the other side of that colon is by whose stripes you were healed. Well, what's on the, if you understand grammatical rules, what's on, a colon is only used when what's on the other side of the colon, help me out if I'm right here, James and Tammy, is equal to what was on the previous side. It should be a restating or a, 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 an a, a emphasizing of what was on the left of the colon on the right of the colon. So it's not saying something different. It's saying the same thing, but just applying it to the healing of our body. If you take by whose stripes you were healed through the same, the same pattern of the first portion of the verse, it would say this. Who his own self bear our sicknesses in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sickness should live unto healing. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen. That's how we're restating it. It's, it's equal to what's on the left hand side. Who his own self bear our sicknesses in his own body. Did he? He did. He bore our sicknesses when he bore our sin. In the same work of redemption, in that same completed salvation, he bore, completely removed and took from us, removed it to another location. He completely bore our sickness in his own body on the tree so that we would be dead to sickness. Dead to sickness. If you can be dead to sin, you can be dead to sickness because he dealt with them both. Amen. What does it mean to be dead to sickness? Well, you know, if, if you brought your remote into my house and tried to use your remote control on my TV, it's probably not going to work because my remote control is already, it, it is what is designed and connected to work with my television. It is wired and programmed for my television. Your remote doesn't work on my television. So Satan can come in with his sin remote and try to work his buttons and try to make me do, but I'm not answering that remote anymore. That was my before Christ. I was programmed to answer the sin remote. But now that I'm in Christ, his remote control has no ability to get a response from me. Amen. The sickness remote, I'm dead to it too. Amen. 
I'm dead to that. I'm not programmed to respond to that. I'm not programmed to live under that. I'm dead to sickness. Amen. I'm not responsive in the way that my body was responsive before because this body is now purchased body. It is purchased by the blood. The blood of Jesus, the salvation paid for my physical body as much as it paid for my spirit to be made new and in the image of God. So we are dead to sin and we are dead to sickness and we live unto righteousness and we live unto healing. Healing is ours by right. Healing is ours in redemption. You don't have to beg God to do it. You don't have to get God to do it. It's yours now. He says, I've already given it to you. Don't ask me to give it to you. I've given it to you. Start agreeing with me that I have given it to you. Agree with me that it's yours now by the stripes. It's yours now because Jesus made you dead to sickness. Amen? So Matthew 8, 17 According to as it is written, according as it was spoken, Matthew 8. Verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. The Weiss translation says, He Himself took away our diseases and carried off our sicknesses. Himself took our diseases and carried our sicknesses. Himself. Jesus Himself took them. So you don't have to take them. You don't have to put up with them. You don't have to accept them because Jesus Himself already took them. These are truths. These are established truths of the covenant. They are ours in possession now. You're not waiting to get them. You're not waiting to get healed after you die. You're healed according to God's uh, perspective and God's provision now. Now there is a receiving and an establishing of what is already established in heaven. This truth is established in heaven. If you were to go to God and say, God, there's sickness in my body. Won't you please heal me? He would say, excuse me, wait a minute. Let me check the record. Matthew 8, 17. Yeah, okay. 1 Peter 2, 24. Yeah, okay. Isaiah 53. Yeah, I did. I did. What more can I do? Do you see? It's like he's saying, what more can I do? I did. Amen. It's established. I've got it on record. It's on record here. What do your records say? Right. He's going to take you back and say, check your records. Yeah. Well, my record says, but my physical body says. Well, no, no, no. That's not an establishing witness. Amen. That's not an establishing witness. This is your record, not how this feels. How this feels is temporary. It's subject to change. But I'm going to have to take spiritual substance and call into existence what needs to be in place of that. I'm not denying the sickness. I'm not saying I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. There's no power in that. There's no power in denying it. The power is in calling for what belongs to you in your spiritual account and, and establishing it with your faith and resisting the 
circumstance the symptom with the word. With the word. Resisting it with the word. The sword is the scripture. If you're not speaking, you're just you're you're, you're talking without a weapon in your hand. If you're, not, if you're not speaking the scripture, if you're not pulling out the sword and saying, according to as it is written, isn't that what Abraham did? So shall my seed be, according to as it was spoken. What is written, I'm the father of many nations. What was spoken, so shall my seed be. If that's not my foundation, then I'm not resisting effectively. I can say... Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. He healed them all. But what's that affecting in my life? I've got, to, for me to establish it in my life, I've got to say Jesus is my healer. By his stripes, I am healed. I am healed. I am healed Amen. by his stripes. He himself took my sicknesses, mine. He carried my diseases, mine. He carried mine. He removed them from me. He carried mine. I'm, I'm pulling that sword out and I'm resisting the sickness with the sword. Without the sword, I'm just talking. I can be talking big too, but without the sword, it's just talk. When I, when I put the, the scripture in with what I'm saying, now I've got a weapon in my words. Now my words are, are, aren't just positive words, but they're words that have a weapon in the words. So this, this established truth, established in heaven, we've got to establish it in our heart. And listen, it is easier and more effective if you establish in, this, in your heart without any sickness already attacking you. If sickness is already attacking you, don't waste another moment and you may have to spend extra time establishing it. If sickness has not attacked you, then establish it now so that if an opportunity comes for you to need it, you will already have it in place. You won't have to go get it and put it in your heart and in your mouth. It will already be in your heart and in your mouth. I was reading the testimony of Trina Hankins. And Trina was raised in a uh, home of a pastor, a, a Pentecostal pastor. I mean, they are, 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 are strong in the moving of the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. Uh, but she suffered with asthma and allergies that were severe and awful uh, to deal with. And she said, you know, that her, she said, I remember times when I was a little girl that my father would rock me. Uh, in, in a chair, praying over me, praying over my physical body, res resisting with me until we both fell asleep in the rocking chair. And in this testimony, she, she was at an age that she said, I knew healing was in the Bible. I knew healing was for us. I knew it was something. But it came to the point that when she saw in the redemption some of these truths that we just looked at that Jesus had already purchased and paid for, she said, when it became real to me, I began applying the word in a different way when I saw it in the word for myself. And she said, when I began to put the word on it and, and, and deal with it, 
specifically, personally, how I'm redeemed because Jesus has already purchased my redemption and became a curse for me. She said, I began to see victory. And over a matter of months, a little bit over a year, it had all been driven out of her body. But later on, you know, her and her husband are pastoring the church years later. Here she, she has this foundation of, of knowing how she has taken the word as her weapon and driven sickness out of her body. She is in the church one day and experiencing a very severe headache and walked out to the back of the church and collapsed. And um, they, they took her to the emergency room and found out that she had an inoperable brain tumor. She had a brain tumor on her brain and they wanted to go in and do an exploratory surgery on it. But she said, the moment that the doctor came in and told us what it was, the scriptures were already in me from how I had worked the word previously. She said, I didn't have to go look for them. They, they came up out of me. And I began from the moment that the doctor gave us the report, she began speaking the word. Why? Because it was already in her. Do you know what a disadvantage she would have been at if she had not already had? Why? Because the, she didn't know that the tumor was there. It had been growing, tr- trespass, trespassing. It had been growing in her, in her brain. And, of course, uh, Mark Hankins took authority over and said uh, uh, he, he cursed it. And they stood, they went in and agreed to the exploratory surgery. And when they went in for the exploratory surgery, three days, I think it was later, the tumor was gone. It was gone. But if she had not already had that deposit of the word, she would have had to go look for it. She said in her testimony that she maintained joy. In those three days, they put somebody at the door with a list of who was allowed to enter in and would not let anybody else in the room. And it was only people that they knew were going to be strong in faith and weren't going to come in talking the problem, but that they would maintain. And she said, in that, in that hospital room for the next three days, we laughed and we sang and we brought a guitar in and we were worshiping the Lord. And, 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 and she said that as they were taking her down the hallway to that exploratory surgery, she was laughing, laughing with joy. Not just a made-up laugh, but she had been building that joy. Why? Because she knew I need to be strong and joy is my strength. And so she practiced joy. What if she didn't know how to do that? What if she had not already been trained in how to maintain herself in a spiritual position of joy and maintain in her mouth the scriptures to resist that sickness? Do you want a disadvantage that would have been? And so it is to your advantage to not look at this as something that you can come when you need it. You need to feed on these scriptures now. You need to feed on them if you don't have any symptoms, so that if symptoms ever come, you have something to answer the symptoms with. Because you don't want to be found at a disadvantage saying, well, I know that scripture and I know where to find it, but I haven't fed on it. I don't have it in my bloodstream. Why? Because I haven't been eating it. If, if you haven't been eating it, then it's not in your bloodstream. But if you, if you make this a constant part of your diet, then you'll constantly have it available to you and you'll be able to resist the sickness more effectively in your life. Hallelujah. So this needs to have our attention. 
it needs to have our attention. And I'm going back to what we saw in Abraham's application of faith. He considered not. And if you've read Genesis chapter 15, you know there was a time he was considering. I'm so glad that God put Genesis 15 in the Bible for me so that I could know Abraham, there was a time that Abraham said, God, what do you give me to seeing I go childless and the only person here to be my heir is Eliezer who was not even my own child. He was just born in my house. So was he looking at the circumstance then? But God didn't bring that up in Hebrews or Romans. Thank you, Lord. God's not going to bring up the times that you've missed it either. If you'll get over in faith, He's just going to emphasize all the times that you got it right. Hallelujah. So what, what God brings as an emphasis is that Abraham did get over to that place where he was not considering his body or his situation and uh, this consideration. I want to use an example from Numbers 21 to help us see how important it is for us to look or consider the truth and not the circumstance. Numbers 21 talks about a time that the children of Israel in their trip through the wilderness, they began to complain and in their complaining they opened the door for an attack of the enemy that came by the way of venomous snakes in the camp. They had been in the wilderness all of this time and no snakes had ever before gained entry into the camp because God had been protecting them. God's protection was on them until they began to murmur and complain. And in that murmuring and that complaining, they sinned against God in that what they were saying. And it opened the door for these snakes to gain entry because in their violating of God's command, it caused a lifting of His protection. Not because God wanted it, but because it's what they caused and they recognized it. In Numbers 21, 7, it says the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. They recognized, we've opened the door to this. These venomous snakes are coming in our camp because we have sinned in speaking against the Lord and against you, praying to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. But God didn't take the serpents from them the way they wanted it to happen. He instead made it so that they were no longer under subjection to what those serpents brought. He didn't make it remove. He made them so that they weren't touched by what those serpents could do. And when we read this, it's interesting how he connected them to their help. It says, the Lord said unto Moses, make a fiery serpent, which means venomous. Make this, this image of this serpent, this brazen serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. So I'm not removing the snakes, but I'm taking their power to hurt you away. Amen. They will no longer have power to kill you. 
If you'll look at the serpent on the pole, why is this on the pole, this brass serpent, what does this represent? Why didn't God put a lamb on the pole? Because Jesus on the cross became cursed for us. That's the root of my redemption. Because he was cursed, because he became sick with my sicknesses, I am no longer under subjection to that sickness. I am no longer under the control of that curse. I am now in a position where it does not have ability to hurt me. Amen? Amen. But they had to look. Look, he said, when he looks upon it. Verse 9 says, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Without looking, he's not going to live. But if he'll look, if he'll look at the right thing in the moment of that attack, if he'll look, if he'll turn his attention away from the snake attached to his ankle. Right. You know that took some doing, didn't it? Because if I see it coming, I'm going to give it my... What? Whoa, right? But he says, no, what I want you to do is quit looking at how it feels. Quit looking at the symptoms that it's causing. Quit looking at, at the fear. Quit looking at that and turn your attention to something else. Turn your attention away from the venomous snake attached to your foot, attached to your hand, attached to your leg. Turn your attention away from that and look unto the sacrifice for that. Look unto the redemption available from that. And when you look, it loses power to kill you. It loses power to take your life when you look. But without the looking, so do you see why we've got to be good at considering the right thing? We've got to, we've got to be skilled in looking. The Amplified says of this phrase, uh, when he beheld... The Amplified says, uh, if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked to the serpent of bronze attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. With a steady and absorbing gaze. It came to the point for Abraham that he was able to give his attention to so shall thy seed be and not look anymore at the deadness of Sarah's womb. Not looking at and considering and calculating how is this going to be. He did that in Genesis 15. How is it going to be? How is this going to be? How am I going to be the father of many nations? So shall your seed be became more prominent in his consideration than how long Sarah's been unable to bring forth children, how old my body is. All of those things took a lesser position in the perception and what became the gaze, the steady, absorbent gaze on so shall my seed be. He considered not those things but what is he considering? He's considering what God said. And that's what happens here. It says, when they looked 
attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. You've got to be so intent upon what the Word says that it takes a precedent in your imagination, in your thought life, in your expectation. The word look, I'm going to give us just a few different examples of this word to look. The first one is this. To look means to be occupied or influenced by what we are looking at. To be occupied or influenced by what we are looking at. Hallelujah. If I'm looking, then it has my attention. If, if any wife has ever tried to talk to her husband about something serious while he's watching the sports, you know he's not hearing you. You're like, you're not looking at me. But I, yeah, but I, I know what you're saying. No, you, you might be hearing my voice, but you're not looking at me, so you're not connecting to what I'm saying the way I need you to connect to what I'm saying. Look at me, right? I want you to be occupied or influenced by what I'm saying. So you have to look at me to have that influence. You have to look at me to be occupied with that. And when Peter was walking on the water, he, is, he changed what he was occupied by. He went one moment from being looking at Jesus and what Jesus had spoken to him. He took, his, he took his eyes off. He took his attention off of Jesus and what Jesus had spoken. And he began to look at the wind and the waves. And when he switched what he was occupied by, he switched what was powering him. He changed, he un, un, unhitched himself from the power that was being supplied to him by his bit, focus being on Jesus and the Word, and he became uh, uh, weakened because he was no longer connected to that. It is important what you're looking at. It's important what has your attention. It's important what you're giving the best of your time to. If the best of your time, the best of your attention is occupied by something natural, you're not going to see things of eternal value in the same way you should. In order to see eternal things in the proper perspective and the proper place of importance, you're going to have to start looking at eternal values. You're going to have to start looking at the Word and saying, and, and looking more long term. Beyond this life, beyond this age, beyond this temporary moment of time and saying, I'm with God for eternity. He needs to have the best of my attention. I'm going to live forever with God. I want to be so aware of His desires and His plan and His will for my life. And that's not going to come if I'm only giving Him a little bit of attention through the week. The second thing that uh, looking uh, means, first of all, to be occupied or influenced by. Second, means to give attention. We know Proverbs chapter 4 uh, says that we need to attend to the Word of God. Attend to my Word. And how do we attend? With your eyes and your ears. Incline your, your ear to hear them. Do not let the Word depart from in front of your eyes. Why? Because that's how it gets in the heart. I need it in the heart 
And it's not going to get in the heart if it's not in your ears and in your eyes. So I need your attention on the word because out of your heart flows the issues, the forces, the strength of your life. And if you're not attending to the word, then what's in your heart is not going to be able to provide any effectiveness in your life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance, a good man can bring forth good treasure. Out of, the, out of the heart. How? By speaking it. But if I don't have a good treasure in my heart, then, uh, then, then how am I going to bring it out? In order for me to bring it out, I've got to first deposit it in. If you're making de- debits on your account and you're not making any deposits, that won't last long. <laughs> right? In the natural, if you're going to make debits, you've got to make sure that deposit hit. And you need to make sure I'm depositing the word and the word about my redemption and the word about my victory and the word about who Jesus is in me and who I am in him because with that deposit, I can draw out and I can, out of the overflow of my heart, live effectively. And so Jesus taught it in the parable of the sower. He said that there, the sower went and sowed the word, but there was a type of ground that considered it wayside soil, and the devil came immediately and stole what was sown in that person's heart. Matthew 13 helps us because it says there was no understanding. So that if the word of the kingdom is not understood, Satan can come immediately and steal it. So if, if I'm not giving my attention to it, I'm not going to have understanding of it. And that's what happened in my algebra class, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And yeah, I didn't give any attention to what my teacher was saying. She might as well been, she might as well been Charlie Brown's teacher. That's what she sounded like to me. I didn't understand how A plus B equals C and why it got in my math class. Kate, take that back to spelling. Don't bring that over here in mathematics. And I didn't understand, and because I didn't give her any attention, I had no understanding, and it was all, it was, it was never rooted in my life. It was never in a, a place where I could put it to work in my life. I had no harvest of it. And so the word that we don't give our attention to, the enemy can take it because you don't even know you're missing it. But if we give our attention and we learn, Jesus said this way, and I love how the Amplified it says it uh, uh, over in Mark chapter 4. It says, with the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear, that will determine the measure of revelation you receive back. With the measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again, King James says. With the measure you measure, with the measure of thought and attention and study you give. That's going to determine the harvest of understanding you get. That's going to determine how much you're gaining, how much you're understanding. That's going to determine how much is actually being deposited in your heart for you to access later. And so the, the word in the heart is requiring our attention. If we're not attending to the word, it's not going to get in the heart. And again, you can go to a faith-building church. You can have multiple translations of the Bible. You can have the Bible on every device. But if it's not in your heart, it's not affecting your life. It's got to be deposited in the heart. And you're going to have to give attention to make that happen. 
It's not going to happen just because you attend church once a week. It's not going to happen just because you attend church twice a week. It's not going to happen just because you're saved. It's going to happen because you purposefully deposit it, deposit it, deposit it. This this word is life unto my flesh. It is life unto my flesh. It is life to me. It is bread for the eating. It is my, it is my light for my path. It is, it is a sustenance that I need for who I am. And so you've got to purposefully give it your attention. Looking also means this. Number three, looking first of all means to be occupied or influenced with what you're looking at. Number two, it means to give your attention Number three, it means to expect. Remember how the Amplified said of Numbers 21, they looked attentively, expectantly at at that picture of redemption, that, that serpent on the pole. They looked expectantly at Jesus on the cross. They looked expectantly with with anticipation that because he became cursed for me, I'm free from the curse. This word expect, it is, it is uh, uh, um, an anticipation. And the word anticipate means, uh, anti means before. It's a prefix for before. So it means to participate beforehand. If you're anticipating dinner today, your, your mouth might be watering as you participate beforehand in your imagination. If anybody's going to have any watermelon today... You you might anticipate that watermelon and you remember how sweet that watermelon is and your mouth begins to water even before you've even put any watermelon in your mouth. You are participating beforehand. And if you're looking at redemption and anticipating, you're looking at what Jesus did and you're seeing yourself free in the body, you're seeing your body strong, you're seeing yourself sickness-free, symptom-free, you're anticipating what is it going to feel like? What is it going to be like? What can I do once this is lifted off of me? I'm, I'm participating in it beforehand. Isaiah 45, 22, the scripture says, Look unto me and be ye saved. Look unto me and be ye saved. And that word means expect. In when Peter came to the man at the gate beautiful in the book of Acts, he said, look on us. And the man did. And what did he look? He looked expecting to receive. It was a looking of expectation, a looking of anticipation. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Titus chapter 2 gives us a good example of this definition. It says in, in verses uh, 12 and 13, and I'm just going to read a portion of it for the sake of time. It says that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world. Why are we living soberly and righteously and godly? Because we're looking for that blessed hope. I know that this is a temporary situation and so I'm going to live eternally because of my anticipation. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and start living the life that God has for me for eternity. A life in righteousness, a godly life, because I'm not going to just sin right up until hoping I have a moment of time to repent of my sin and just get to enjoy a whole lifestyle of sin up until it's time for me to exit and then suddenly, oh, okay, I've had all my sin time now and so forgive me of my sin, Lord, I repent and I make you my Lord. Uh, No, 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 I have an expectation. So I'm just going to go ahead and live right now 
because I'm looking for that blessed hope, which is the return of the Lord. That blessed hope is a phrase used. So I have an anticipation. I'm going. I'm going. When he's ready to rapture the church, I'm going. I'm going. And so I'm going to live like I'm going. I'm going to live like I'm going. That's talking about this expectation. I'm looking for that blessed hope. Well, if I can do that about the rapture, if I can do that about something that is uh, scriptural uh, recorded to happen, how about I just go ahead and also apply that about something that has happened? Healing has happened. It's not something that's going to happen. Healing has already been made mine. So I can anticipate it and look in a different way because I know that's mine. I know that's paid for. So I'm looking with that expectation that it's at work in my body now. Hallelujah. Another definition of the word look means to consider. We talked about that a little bit when we think about being occupied or influenced. But I want you to look at how how Romans 4, which we used in the beginning of our text, it said he considered not Sarah's womb. He considered not the condition of his body, but he, he considered what God said instead. That considering... That considering was something that Abraham and Sarah had to do. It says in Hebrews that Sarah considered him faithful. Hebrews 11, 11. She had to consider what God said to have more of a priority or a precedence or a preeminence over her situation. And when she considered right and Abraham considered right, when they got their considerations in line with what God considered, then then things could start to change. Then, Then God could affect His will in their situation. Hallelujah. So we consider, we consider, not just a glance. Now put yourself in the position of the the children of Israel who have already seen a number of their neighbors, their friends, and their family die from these snakes that had, had invaded in the camp. They'd already probably buried people in their family and people in their, their, the tent next to them and, and, and two rows down. They'd already had to, to sorrow and, and, and experience the loss of this person. And now God has established a redemption for them and he provides this redemption, but he says, you've got to connect to it. You've got to give it your consideration in, in, In full view of everything you know that those snakes have done in the lives of other people, I want you to look at what this serpent hanging on the pole, turn all of your attention away from previous experience. Turn all of your attention away from what happened yesterday. Turn all of your attention away from the symptoms in your body, how it feels, the pain in your foot, the pain where that that serpent has just bit you. While the venom is coursing up your leg and you can feel the burning of that poison up through your leg, don't give that your consideration. I want you instead, behold the lamb. Behold, he became cursed for you. Behold what he has done. And when that gains control or, or the dominance in your consideration, 
it nullifies. It takes the, the, the venom going up the leg, now loses all of its power. The venom was still there. God didn't pull the venom out. He just took the power out of the venom. He took the power out of the disease. Amen. He took the power out of cancer. He took the power out of emphysema. He took the power out of diabetes. He took the power out of it. How, do, how does he do that? Jesus became cursed for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith connects you to the supply in the redemption of Jesus being cursed for you. The only way to get it out of the heavenly account into manifestation in your body is to believe it. Amen. They had to look and believe. They had to look and expect. When I look, something's going to change. Yes, I feel the burning of the symptom of that snake bite, but I'm going to look and it's going to change. So you've got to look at the Word and you've got to expect it to change in your life. Hallelujah. And that's how we bring something that is rightfully ours out of a place where it is stored in an account into manifestation in our body. We believe it. But that believing isn't something that is just going to happen necessarily in a moment. I've got to be skilled in believing. I've got to give my attention to, to learn how to consider. Not considering that. I see that, but I'm not considering that. I know that, but I'm not considering that. I'm, I'm giving my attention, my focus, my expectation as it is written, according to what God said. Amen. As it is written, according to what God said, that's getting my attention. Why? Because God can't lie. God can't lie. And if it's written and God said it, then it can change the natural circumstance. I've got to take something that's unchangeable to change something in the natural. And it would not be complete without finally looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because it states what we've been talking about in such an accurate way. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, no matter what you're facing today, what you're dealing with today, you put it in agreement with the Bible and you call it light and momentary. Whatever it is you're dealing with, your light, you're a lightweight compared to the heavyweight God I serve. And you're momentary. But notice it says the light affliction works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God didn't bring affliction to try to work something in you. That's not what this said. This says the light affliction, what's going to go to work against that light affliction is going to cause something that is exceeding and eternal and more weighty in glory. There was a little boy in England, Arkansas, and his father had a, a, a scanner. And so every time the fire department would be called out on a fire call, 
he took his little boy in the truck and they went to go watch him put out the fire. And one day after a few weeks of following the fire truck to all these fires and watching them put the fire out, the little boy said to the father, Daddy, why is this little red truck going all around town starting fires around town? In his understanding, all he equated was every time I see a fire, I see that red truck, so that red truck must have started that fire. He didn't understand that that red truck showed up to put the fire out. And a lot of times people see God move in a situation and they say, why did God cause that situation? To make me stronger, to bring me back to God, to make me a witness for Him. No, God was the red truck that showed up to rescue that person. And just because He was there on the scene doesn't mean He caused it. It means He came to help get that person out. And in doing so, when we're dealing with difficulties and we go to the Word and we apply the Word, we're going to come out stronger because we're applying the Word. God doesn't bring afflictions to make us stronger. What doesn't kill us make us stronger is not Scripture. I don't care who's singing it. It's not Scripture. Because there are a lot of people who went through afflictions and died in the wilderness. A whole generation of people. They didn't get stronger in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. It says it works for us, verse 18, while we look not. It's only going to work something good. You're only going to to effectively work the work of God against that affliction if you're looking not at the things which are seen, but instead you're turning your consideration over. You're looking at something different. You're giving it your attention. You're giving it your expectation. You're giving it what God said while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, subject to change, fleeting, momentary. Those things don't get my best attention. They don't get my expectation. Amen. We, every person has an option. When you get bad news, you can turn your attention to that bad news and you can Google it and you can find out all the details that come with it and you can start expecting those symptoms and expecting or you can turn your attention over to eternal substance that has the ability to change the natural. We're not negating that the symptom is there. We're not negating that that sickness has attacked the body, but we're demanding it to leave. We're having to serve notice on it and drive it out by bringing into existence the Word of God, looking at things which are not seen. So if I go back to the thermostat and I look at the part that tells me the temperature that's currently in the room... And I say, well, I might as well set the thermostat and call it like it is because that's what it is. It's such and such degrees in here, so I'm just going to set the thermostat to match what it is. That's not going to cause any change. No change will be affected. What affects change is for me to call what I want to come replace what is. So if it's 85, I'm not going to set it on 85. I'm going to set the thermostat on 72 
because I want it to bring 72 into existence. So I don't look at the 85 and say, oh, it's 85, it's 85, I got to deal with 85. No, I'm calling for something else. So I'm not looking at the sickness and saying it is what it is. I might as well set my thermostat for what it is and just settle for what it is. No, I'm calling for wholeness. I'm calling for restoration. I'm calling for 1 Peter 2.24. I'm calling for Matthew 8.17. Himself took. And I'm going to take the scripture, the, the sword, and I'm going to bring a weapon against that trespassing curse of a sickness. And, and with my weapon, I'm going to demand that it leave. Hallelujah. And I'm going to call. So do you see why the consideration is of vital importance? If I'm looking at the wrong thing, I'm going to unplug from my help. I'm going to unhitch myself from the power supply of God's Word.